0: Good to have a, a friend. I was going to say an old friend, but but um, <laughs> the, that has two meanings. Good to have a great friend sharing tonight. Thank you. Praise the Lord.
1: When I thought about starting out tonight, like uh, I've become accustomed to starting out several times, several places, but hi, I'm Bill. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's the way we normally start out on the uh, Monday nights if we're sharing to celebrate recovery, but it fits, and particularly as you read what's going on in Galatians and study it and study more of the things that go in the Bible and find out how much more is in there that I don't know, I begin to realize how much more, yeah, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. He's done a great deal for us. Some of you may be... uh, I don't know, new to tonight's study. Um, some of the folks that listen online or watch online might be uh, uh, first time tuning into it. So for the sake of just kind of uh, a short catch up, do a quick little summary here of what we've gone over. Uh, it has been a lot of good teaching. We've had the uh, privilege of having several, several great, uh, great teachers so far. As we look in the book of Galatians, we'll find out there's a a lot there that relates to us today as well as it related to the, the people of Paul's day and age. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into it. Father, we just thank you this evening that your word not only is, is true, but it's relevant. Father, thank you that it applies to our lives today. And God, that no matter what part of it we may read from, no matter whether we're looking in the the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the promises, the law, or whether we're looking in the prophecies or the Gospels, you've got something there for us. Father, I thank you that you provide a word there for t- us tonight. And we just ask you, Lord, to help each of us, God, to receive from you that which you've, you've put out there for us tonight. Lord, let what's heard be heard by our souls, by our hearts, as you speak it, as you share it. Lord, we ask you to take any of the, the words that I might share, somebody else might share. And God, that you anoint them, Father, in such a way that they come out, come out across the air and they hit the ears, maybe not saying exactly what the people that spoke them thought they were going to say the people that are hearing them hear what needs to be heard thank you lord for the lessons that you've spoken into our lives and we trust god that tonight you will continue to do so and continue to bless us god not just that we can consume the blessing but continue to bless us that we can be a blessing to other people and father i pray that you would truly anoint us to be able to do that tonight all in the name of jesus amen amen Okay. You know, one of the, uh, the main or basic themes over the book of Galatians, basically, is that Paul's addressing uh, the issue, whether the converts to Christianity had to submit to the Mosaic Law or not. Uh, the Jewish Christians, uh, sometimes we see them referred to in Scripture and other places as uh, Ju- Judaizers, they argued that they did, and that was their main main problem with Paul. So these folks, if they're going to be Christians, then uh, you know they're going to follow the law, and they're they're going to follow it just like we've been following it. And Paul's saying, "No, you don't need to do that." And back and forth, and uh, causes the the biggest part of the uh, problem before him is rather passionate disagreements. Uh, In the the first chapter, Paul introduced himself as uh, being there by the authority of Jesus Christ. He was an apostle by Jesus' authority. Wasn't one that uh, one of the twelve that Jesus said, Hey, come follow me, drop this and come follow me. Hey, you come follow me. But he was one that saw Jesus after that, after the resurrection, and became an apostle. Uh, He also hits on the, the subject that Christ gave himself for our sins and to deliver us, and that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel than what they've heard in the past. He says that there should be a, a curse upon anybody who preaches a false gospel. And he talks about that. That doesn't matter whether it's me, whether it's somebody you know real well, whether it's an angel from heaven. If they're preaching a false gospel, they're cursed. Because the true gospel is not from men, but it's from Jesus Christ. Then as we moved into chapter 2. He hit the uh, subject as Paul was uh, actually recounting a uh, latter visit visit to Jerusalem and how the leadership had accepted one named Titus, even though he was a Greek, he was uncircumcised. He hits on the fact that God doesn't show favoritism to anyone. And that's something that, you know, the Judaizers basically were were trying to stir up the, the, the idea that they were better and God would favor them more because of what they did to, to keep the law. And Paul's saying, you know, there's, there's no favoritism with him, saying that the leaders of the Jerusalem church, uh, James, Cephas, John, they accepted Paul. They accepted his ministry to the Gentiles. And that was something that didn't make the uh, you know, basic uh, Jewish church very happy. And We see in the second chapter in Antioch, uh, Paul publicly rebuked Peter. The reason he did it is because he had separated himself uh, from the Gentiles, and kind of like, well, you know, we're all one, and I believe you, and and we accept the Gentiles. But now when there's other people looking at us, um, I'm I'm going to kind of scoot over here a little bit. And I don't want to, too many of them to actually see me with the Gentiles. So Paul got on to him that basically you know, say, hey. <laughs> If you're going to preach it, live it. If you're going to teach it, live it. Do do what you say. And Paul reminds Peter they're justified before God by the work of Jesus, not the keeping of the law. And he ends up that second chapter basically by reminding them that their righteousness doesn't come from the law or it's not about the law, but to keep their mind on the fact that it is all from Jesus and through Jesus Christ. Then we get into the third chapter. Uh, actually, he starts out the third chapter, and he, he's asking him a question. Basically, he uh, said, you know, did you receive the Holy Ghost through the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Because there's some contention that had arisen there. And he's reminding the church that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Didn't necessarily mean whether it was... Those who were just Jewish, those who were just circumcised, but if they were of faith, then they were accepted then as a, the sons of Abraham. And in, in the Old Testament, it said those who didn't fulfill the law were cursed. Uh, Habakkuk, he quoted, said, "You know, that the just shall live by faith." I'm pointing that out to him, said, so "Faith is the main thing. Not so much your, your outward actions, but what's going on in your heart and what you really believe." And that uh, the uh, the people who look to look to the law have to live under the law. So that it was given to restrain, if you will, the transgression. Uh, the law revealed our sinful nature, revealed who we are and what we are, and and uh, what we normally feel and how we act and how we think it was a, a a tutor it was a teacher and that teacher wasn't necessary any longer we become the sons of god through faith in christ and it's telling them that they're all this they're all heirs under christ they're all of one family they all belong to to abraham and then chapter four gets into the subject that uh slavery comes up It's talking about children children like slaves they're under guardians until they mature kids grow up hopefully as they grow up and mature a little bit and send them out and trust them to do certain things that couldn't couldn't do when they were smaller when they were littler and so the same as with christians as we grow then God can give us different jobs, different responsibilities, and call us to do things that uh, we couldn't do earlier. We might have tried, but we just didn't have the maturity that we need to do it. And that like children, uh, we're in bondage to the elements of the world. So, But in in time, in time that Christ came and redeemed us from the law, we were adopted then as God's sons, or daughters, heirs to Jesus Christ and heirs through Christ. And uh, Brother brother Derek left left us off in chapter 4 last week, uh, basically around the area where Paul uh, prepares to ask the question, what are you doing back in bondage again? Where did you turn back? What are you doing here? Galatians uh, chapter 4 and verse 10 he says, Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you your labor in vain. He wasn't scared of them. You know, Paul says, I'm afraid of you. But he's saying, I'm basically in our, our language today, we say more like, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid of what you're going through. I'm afraid of what you're facing. Because you've returned to all these observances all the the feasts the times and the, even some of the uh, superstitions some ideas that you've been brought up with and had been freed with from and had rejected and had put them on a the back burner now you're turning back to them so that scares me it worries me do you really truly understand christianity I mean, do you grasp it? That's basically his thought to him, his question to him. Do you understand what it is that happened? Do you understand what we're talking about when we talk about becoming Christians? Do you understand who you were worshiping and what it was all about? In verse 12, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You've not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in the flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you speak of? For I bear your record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? By the way, if you're, you're not a fan of King James, sorry, that's, I've studied from that for so many years, just, that's my go-to. <laughs> so Paul looks at it and says, you know, we're, we're the same, brother. We're the same sisters. I'm like you are. You're like I am. There's not a differentiation between us. And he says, you've not injured me at all. You might read that and think, well, I didn't see anything going on. What were they doing? Were they fighting with him or, you know, threatening him or anything like that? No, no. His his reference actually is saying, what you've done, you haven't really hurt my feelings. You haven't really rejected me. I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you, and I want you to understand that. And he comes to them in, in such a loving attitude. He's As as we read about Paul, it seems that one of the things about his nature is neat. He could look you in the face, dress you down like nobody else has ever dressed you down before, and leave you walk away smiling. You <laughs> know? I mean, he knew how to how to get to the the crux to the matter. And if you was the type of person that that wouldn't work with, he also knew how to, to leave it so that when you were done, you'd walk away with tears in your eyes, but not be angry with him. No, he spoke the truth. Maybe outwardly, yeah, but inwardly, no. What he'd said was right, and there was no denying it. I wish more and more to be like that myself. I don't know about you, but I. <laughs> when I try to correct somebody, I, I one thing, I hate having to correct somebody. But when I do, it seems like no matter what I, what I say, I walk away feeling like, man, I should have done this. I should have said it this way. I should have said it that way. I don't see any place Paul ever had second thought about what he said. He put the word out there, this is it, and Basically, although it sounds maybe a little rude and impolite to put it this way, he's basically saying, Hey, here it is. This is the way it is. You don't like it? Leave it. Sorry, that's the way it is. Not changing it, not sugarcoating it. That's just the way it is, take it or not. He's trying to let these folks know the, the Galatian church that I love you, I care for you. There's some things wrong here, though, there's some things that have gone backward. And even though I love you and care about you, I'm going to have to be a little bit rough, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. God knows you make mistakes. God knows we make mistakes. God knows I make mistakes. They had lost the joy. You ever do that? You ever get to that point, anybody? You know, you lost your joy? One or two people, okay. Got a lot of, mm. (laughs) I've lost my joy many times. Big problem in that, what's the scripture say about joy? The joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. So I lose my joy, I lose my strength. And Paul knew that as the Galatians lost their joy, they were losing their strength. They were losing their power. And they seemed angry with him. Seemed like they were upset with him. And, he's, you know, he's asking them, so why? What's your problem? You don't seem as happy as you used to seem. Matter of fact, you seem like you're, you're, you you're got something against me. And the only thing I've done is come here and speak the truth to you. So you want to explain this to me or you want to listen? It says in verse uh, 17, it says, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that they might affect them, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Deceitful teachers had come into the Galatian church some of them openly deceitful. Some of them, I, I have no doubt, they felt they were sincere. They felt they were doing the right thing. They were carrying out the message in the way that they thought it needed to be delivered. But there's one thing in common with deceitful teachers back then, well, probably more than one, but at least one thing that I know that carries through even to today. Deceitful teachers are always trying to attract other men's converts rather than turn them to the Lord. They're trying to turn them to themselves. And that's one earmark that we you know, can immediately see when a false teacher shows up. Uh, that's one thing I, I used to cringe when new Christians wanted to get together with a, a group and start to start a Bible study, because there weren't a lot of mature, older Christians with them, and they'd want to start the Bible study, and and bless God, at least when I was <laughs> when I was growing up, I say growing up, growing up as a Christian, I didn't get saved till I was in my twenties, but as I was seeing people come to the Lord, it seemed like they always wanted to jump right into the Book of Revelation. Got saved Sunday, Monday, let's have a Bible study, let's study Revelation. Who's going to teach it? Well, he's been saved four days. He can lead us, you know. <laughs> they get all wrapped up in in uh, all, all kinds of things that don't really don't really answer questions for them. They don't really help them. And then, while well, somebody in that group, they they know of somebody in a, another group that. Why, they, they've got some answers. I, I, I'm going to, have to invite them to come to our meeting, and the next thing you know, you get somebody from the Way International or the Mormon Church or Jehovah Witnesses or somebody else coming into the Bible study and starting to lead it, and trying to draw everybody in that group away into their group. Proverbs 27:6 says, "Faithful are the words of a friend." But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And Paul's telling these folks this is what's happening with your teachers coming up. These are kisses of the enemy that you're dealing with. I may hurt your feelings, I may even upset you, but I'm only doing it because I love you. I'm only doing it because I care and that went over with them just about as well as it went over with me and my parents said this is going to hurt me worse than it does you yeah <laughs> but they were true i didn't understand it then i understand it now they were telling the truth said so remain faithful said so remain faithful regardless whether i'm here or whether i'm down the road just because i leave doesn't mean you have to bring in other teachers from other places and and try to find out some, some new revelation. Hang on to the things I taught you. Study the things I taught you. There's more there than you can get in just one little meeting. So dig into it, see what God's really saying to you, and remain faithful. And if I'm not here, that's all right. Well, the next time I come back, we'll pick up from where you left off and we'll give you some more stuff and some more you can dig into and some more to study. But don't let, don't let all these other folks just come by and pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are and how great things are and how everything's going to be rosy and how you're doing it all so good. And never point out any of the bad stuff. Never point any, out any failings. Never point out any faults. Because those are enemies giving you kisses. It says in verse 19, my little children... Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now, and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. It talks about travail. I don't think I ever heard that word till I became a Christian. Honestly, I don't. I don't know about anybody else. It just sounded like a strange word, and uh, of course, now as a as a Christian, it seems kind of common to think about travailing and think about pregnancy and the delivering of a baby and all of that, but never thought of it, like I said, early in Christianity, early in my, in my life. First time I read it in the Bible, I had no idea what he was talking about. What well, do you mean, travail, huh? Yeah. The travail can have to do with that labor process, it can have to do with just waiting, too, being patient, enduring. While waiting, enduring, while being patient, waiting for something to happen, something good that's going to happen, something you know is going to take place, may not know when, but it's going to take place. So just hang in there and wait on it. Paul says, "I've been like that with with y'all." It's like parents seeing grown children that uh, uh, are wandering from basic teachings. They say, "This is what I'm kind of what I'm going through." Any of you have adult kids? Yeah, okay. Rest of you, maybe you're the adult kid that this applies to. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but when, you, when your kids are little and you, know, you tell them, don't do this, there's one point in their life where that's automatically they don't do that. Then there comes a point not too long after that and you say, don't do that. And they think, well, I got to do it. I got to try it. I got to find out. Don't touch the stove. Why not? I don't see anything wrong. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Paul says, I see you as being grown-up children. You've been through the rough time. You've come to some maturity. And now you ought to be acting like mature children. But instead of doing that, you're wandering back to the basic stuff that you already, already knew and you're scratching your head over it. You're questioning the things that you didn't know. And the things that you held as right, the things that you held as pure, the things that you held as as powerful and and necessary are the things you're just kind of letting them fall by the wayside. I want to be present with you. I I, I hate having to write a letter to you. I'd rather be there in person and help turn you to the right direction. I'm really... I'm perplexed. I'm confused by you. I don't understand what's going on. And it's kind of like, you know, if we raise our children up and, uh, uh, well, just for example, say give them some good financial, basic financial training. And they've been raised and learned the value of dollar, learned the value of work. They've been taught a good work ethic and they grow up and get married and, Don't have a clue what they're going to do for a job. Don't have a clue where they're going to live. Don't have a clue how they're going to get to and from a job because the car they got is falling apart and they don't have the money to get it fixed to start with. But they're going to get married and go on and prosper anyway. Uh, Yeah. This is where Paul's seeing the Galatian church. He says, "I, I, I need to change my voice with you. If I was present with you now, I would change my voice. Doesn't mean he did interpretations. He said, I've been talking to you in instruction. I've been giving you instructions. Now it's time to correct you. Now it's time we take a different tone of voice. We take a different look at this. And yeah, come down on you if necessary but I've got to do it, folks. I've got to get your attention. That's one of the things that uh, somebody mentioned in a meeting we had a little bit ago about when we raise our voice just a little bit. People, kids particularly, our kids may think, you're yelling at me. Don't yell at me. One of the first things I learned many years ago as a, a chaplain with Knoxville Police Department, one of the first things they they taught in the academy was voice so you have a thing called command voice and if you tell that guy, you know we 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 rode with the with the police long story short we basically were extra set of eyes and ears for them and when we were out of patrol with an officer get say a bunch of kids sitting down on the curb hadn't pulled over for something and they're sitting there and a the guy can get their hands in their pocket. And say, hey, get, get your hands out of your, Don't put your hands in your pocket. They don't pay any attention to that, you know. But when you use the command voice, get your hands out of your pocket. This one starts to stand up and go, sit out. Not mad at them. Not yelling at them. But getting their attention and taking that tone of voice that changes. That same tone of voice, like I say, our kids may say that we yell, or uh, maybe, maybe even somebody here says, well, that cop yelled at me when he pulled me over. Hmm? I think I saw a smile there, too. Okay. Paul's saying, I've got to take that attitude with you, so don't be surprised. I'm not yelling at you, folks, but you've got to get this straight. You've got to get this lesson figured out and got to do it the right way. It goes on, verse 21, and says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaiden, the other by a free woman. You can find out about this in Genesis chapters 16 through 21 deals with this. It says, But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are, are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai with gendereth to bondage, which is agar, or hagar, for this agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. So Paul moves and starts pointing now to the law. And points to, the, in a such a way, asking the folks, to, if, you know, you're saying you want to be under the law by your actions. And you're going back to the things that are under the law. You're going back to what the law taught and following it and observing it. Answer me this question then. Do you, do you don't you do understand what, what it's about? Do you hear what the law is covering? Do you hear what it really says to do and what you're required to do under it? Being under the law is like being the son of the bondswoman. Being under bondage. So you don't, don't you get it? He, he refers to it as an allegory, which basically is a, a narrative. It's a narrative that's got a deeper meaning than uh, what's represented on the top, on the surface of it, something you can read and read over it and miss the real meaning to it if you don't take the time to actually pick it apart a little bit and read the words that are in it and see how they apply to the particular situation that it's talking about, the timing, uh, the, the sociological settings. Paul says this is an allegory. And the, the, the persons, they represent a hidden meaning so that we, the, we could read about this on two different levels. Verses, uh, or verse 427 back there, he says... You know, it's written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Isaiah 54.1 is basically what he's quoting there. Isaiah 54.1 says, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. And is certainly a promise which relates to the conversion of the Gentiles. the, The desolate... The Gentile world has many more children. Gentile world's got a lot more children than the the, the Jewish state. There, it's larger, more numerous than the the Jewish Church. The Church that Jerusalem that has a husband has been so long in covenant with God, living under His protection and in possession of a really a great variety of spiritual advantages especially those offered by the gospel that she's rejected the jerusalem church has rejected all of this and the gentiles have accepted it and so they outnumber they outnumber the 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 one the children of jerusalem It didn't set too well with a lot of the church. I mean a lot of them they were already having a problem with Paul just for the fact that he spoke with Gentiles, much less that he taught them, shared the gospel, and now was he was taking the gospel all over and basically was the um, um, can't think of the, word, the ministered to the Gentiles. So this is the the bigger church, this is the bigger picture. Y'all who are holding on to being Jews and just so proud of who you are in your faith, you're the minority here, folks. Did you ever think about it that way? It says, now, we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So nevertheless, what as the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He turns this whole thing around and says, we honestly, because of our acceptance into the family of God, because that Christ has accepted us, because Christ has accepted the Gentiles, because he's accepted us all as one, we're not the children of the bondwoman. We're part of that minority. We are the children of the free woman. We're the children who stand to inherit everything that the, those born of the free woman stand to inherit, all because of what Christ has done. And it wasn't just for the Jew, but it applied also to the Gentile. It's it's a birthright of Christians to think, to feel, and to act like free men. I don't know about you, sometimes I need to be reminded of that. We uh, (laughs) We had a problem come up with our van here recently, and uh first thing comes in my mind is, oh, Lord, what are we going to do now? And that's about as long as it lasted. So like, yeah, that's right. Lord, what are we going to do now? You've got it taken care of. So, you know, no reason to get all bent out of shape about it. But it's that easy, that quick, to fall back in the old habits and back in the old way and, and stop thinking like free men. Stop thinking about those who are members of the family of God, uh, saying, you know, the free men don't allow themselves to become slaves to customs. And saying that's the same way with you, the church. So you, the Galatians. Said you're free, you're free in Christ. Why are you going back to the old rites? Why do you go back to the, the, uh, the customs Why do you want to take part in all these ceremonies that were truly, some of them truly a pain in the neck to deal with? What do you want to do that for? Remember, you're adopted into the family of God. I'm sure that shook up a few of them. The covenant of grace, Sarah. That's our spiritual mother. That's the one that that we look to Not Hagar. The law and the old nature, that's what comes under Hagar. That's what comes under the bondwoman. Legalism comes under her. And those that are under legalism know what they want to do. They want to persecute us. Why? Because they want to bring us under that same bondage. Paul's just talking plain sense here, you know. But if you're, if you're anything like me, and in some respects, I hope you're not. Uh, somebody talking plain sense to me a lot of times just goes right over my head. My wife says, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, I mean, I have to admit it, it's true. Sometimes the Lord's got to really simplify things to get him to cross to me. And sometimes i got to learn the hard way. The Judaizers were... <laughs> attractive people in a lot of ways i mean picture here's these these guys they come into town and you know, they they blow into town like uh, some of the old time tent revivalists used to i mean it looks like a circus coming in you know they used to come in with the big old trucks and the tents and the bands and everything you know full page newspaper ads and And some of them were great, yeah. Others of them, if they didn't tell you they were an evangelist and a miracle-working prophet of God, uh, you wouldn't have known it. They had to tell you, which meant they were not true to start with. And that's the way these guys were. They were, oh, they had beautiful robes. They had the nice-looking outfits. They had credentials from the religious authorities. They were approved of some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest religious minds in Jerusalem. Some of the greatest preachers would say, yes, I give my, my seal of approval to this brother to come and teach you and talk to you. They have real high standards too. So high that, well, you could tell just how holy they were from the way they acted. You could see it in the way they walked, in the, the pride that they showed in their steps And they led people into bondage, and liberty was a thing of the past. They led them into defeat, and victory just went out the window because the people didn't know the difference. They didn't know the difference. The old nature cannot be controlled by law. About the time we decide, I'm not going to do something, we can pretty well count on the fact, I'm going to do that thing. Now, this isn't necessarily sin or anything, but just, uh, when, when you leave here tonight, make up your mind that for the first 15 minutes after church, after you leave, you're not going to use the word I or me in your conversation. See how well that goes over, huh? Yeah. And saying, this, this is what's happening with the old nature. When you put a law on it, when you say, because the law says, because it's written here, it says, thou shalt not, then, why, well, that, that takes care of it. And it does until we try to apply it. You know, one of the, the, the greatest things, I think, about, about Jesus Christ We talk about him living as a man and coming here to earth as a man, living and and going through everything that we went through. But very, very little times do I ever hear anybody stop and point out the fact that Christ was living as an example that showed what a human man could do if he lived by the law and kept every single bit of it. If he was perfect, if he never broke the law, Christ showed what, it, what, what they could be like, how they could live, the way they could operate, the way they could speak, the way they could call things into being, the miracles that they could work. But sadly, we try to apply that law and we fall short. So he redeemed us from it. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law so that we don't have to try to. So that our law we fulfill is the law of love and the law of love in Christ. That pretty pretty much ends chapter 4. I suppose in the beginning, I thought I was supposed to teach chapter 5. And we'll pick up a, a little bit of chapter 5 tonight. We've got a couple minutes, but not not much longer. We're about out of time. But it's imperative not only that we go through a, a little review at the beginning, but that we don't just drop off. Because, you know, De- Derek found it difficult to try to get the whole chapter in there. There's too much there, you know. <laughs> and in the... what. 30, 45 minutes you have to stand up here. You can't really hit all the points and do it justice. So I'm not going to do all justice to chapter 5. I'm not really going to try to. But maybe maybe get the beginning of it. And I don't know who's teaching next week, but we'll leave them saddled with picking up where I left off. How's that? Okay. Chapter 5 it starts out. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. That almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? I mean, he's talking to these religious folks, these folks that are trying to do the the right religious thing, and saying, if you do that right religious thing, (laughs) then Christ is of no use to you. (gasps) what? Wait a minute! What do you say? But the church was looking at circumcision as a requirement. This was one of those things that they had fallen back into. One of the circumstances and and uh, um, you know ceremonies and all that that we mentioned. And Paul's telling them, you know, if you re- if you receive circumcision as a requirement, if you look at it as a requirement, and it applies also to all the other things that the church might look at as requirements under the law. So then what really happens is you reject Christ's sacrifice. You reject the sacrifice that brought freedom. You can't accept all the benefits. If somebody gives you a gift and uh, you purchase the gift, there's no longer a gift. Think like an example, if somebody decides they're going to do your yard work, they're going to take care of everything in the yard for you. I mean, planting, weeding, cutting the grass, fertilizing, every little bit of it. I thought you'd look envious at that one. <laughs> they tell you they're going to do this for you. You say, "All right, great." And you accept that, and that's a wonderful gift. And then uh, it's all good for a while, but then you notice one day, well, it looks like you should have been here and taken care of the grass yesterday. And I, don't, I don't know. I didn't 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 do it yet. So you begin to to look at it, and begin to wonder a little bit, and think, well, you know, something might have happened. And come think of it, things can happen. Uh It'd probably be a good idea if I bought a lawnmower of my own. That way, uh, you know, just in, in case something happens, I've got one here and I, I can take care of things then. Or if, if his breaks down, I, I've got one he can use. So, okay, you know, I'll do that. Of course, if I'm going to do that, I need to start supplying gas for it too. I mean, it's, it's my mower. You know. Well, then pretty soon, the uh, fellow starts coming over and he's using your mower. Well, it's, it's a little easier. Well, you can't just come by here, stop by and cut the grass, take care of things, because his weed eater's at home. I need to buy a weed eater too. I need to get one of them to have on hand. That way, that way, whenever he drives past and, and wants to take care of my yard, he can just zoom right in here and take care of it. do doesn't have to worry about going home and getting anything. So buy a weed eater, start buying fuel for it. All the money that was saved by having somebody else take care of my yard work just went out the window because I went out and spent it on the stuff to take care of the yard work. That gift is of no effect to me. The only thing I'm getting now is free labor. And that free labor may feel a little insulted, that free labor may get to the point and says, well you know I didn't get out there quick enough and he got out there and cut the grass well I see he did the weed eating and I was going to do it tomorrow and after that happens a few times this person that was going to take care of all your yard work and they drive, drive around they don't even drive past your house anymore they don't even look at it anymore by trying to do What sounded good, sounded helpful, sounded reasonable, you just threw that gift back in that person's face and made it of absolutely no good to you. Although the person that gave you the gift was willing, and they're still willing. They're still willing to give it to you, they're still willing to take care of everything. So that's the way it is with Christ. So when you put the law, When you put the law on, go back to it, turn back to it, then that sacrifice that Jesus made, all the good that he gave, all that he's brought about for us, this is just made null and void in your life. Not because it is null and void, but because you've rejected it. And he's still got his arms out saying, here it is, take it. Won't you have this? Won't you receive it? He pointed out to them that if you're a circumcised or if you're one that's following under the law, so then you're a debtor to the whole law, and that sacrifice is of no effect. He came to set us free completely from the entirety of the law. And although that's not where he ended up his letter to them, that's where the clock says, We. I don't need to end this up for tonight. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully, I say whoever te- teaches next week will be able, you know, pick up on chapter five. Maybe they'll even get us caught up. But if they don't, that's okay, because there's some good stuff in here. God's got some good stuff, and I like to like to take advantage of the good stuff. Amen. So I would leave that with you tonight Uh, between now and the next lesson. Read, you know, read Galatians. You'd be surprised how many people in a church that know they're having a study on something, never read what they're going to study. (laughs) I I have no idea in this congregation, but I'm just saying statistically, I don't know what the particular numbers are, but I know that there's a high percentage of people Statistically, that if they know they're going to be looking at uh, the book of Ephesians, they won't, they won't open it up and read a bit of it until they get to the class. Take the time. Take the time to read it because as we come in next week, if you already got it in your mind what it's saying and you've already interpreted it, then whoever's teaching, God can use them to uh, open up even more to you. So, thank you. God bless you.
0: Amen. Before we dismiss, is there anyone that would uh, like us to pray with them tonight? Um, I want us to remember Brother Blodgett. Um, good to have Sally back with us. She's, amen, she's gone through a, a battle the last few weeks, and so uh, glad to see her back. Um, anyone would like us to just pray with them tonight? What about a, just a unspoken that you want to raise your hand with? We, Amen, Amen. Hey, God is faithful, isn't He? He is so good. You know what I'm loving in this is that our dependence is on Him. It is not, it is not anything that we can do to deserve His healing, His love, His. His compassion towards us. It is, it is all Him. And I'm thankful because that takes the weight off of us, doesn't it? We carry so much. And it's not that we're not concerned. It's not that we're not passionate. But we carry sometimes the weight of seeing it happen. The, uh, but when we see, you know, even where He says some water, some plant, some water. But it is God who brings the growth. We, we want to see it happen so bad. But we just need to be faithful in the planting and the watering. We just need to be faithful in the trusting and obeying. Amen. Father, Lord, you see every hand that was raised in this room tonight. And Lord, even those who will, will watch and those who are watching, even online. God, I pray that you would intervene that you, O oh Lord, would touch them to this evening. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you are compassionate. Your word says that you were moved with compassion. God, you see us, and, 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 and you can't help but be activated because you are caring, compassionate, and loving God. We don't always understand how you move. We don't always understand what you're doing but we do know this, God, that we can trust you and there is an eternal end that you have uh, in every situation for us. And I pray, God, that you'll touch Brother Jim Blodgett. God, I'm so thankful that, uh, that he is a man of God who loves you. And I thank you, God, for just the heart and passion he has for your truth and your word. And I pray you'll touch his body, be with him and Sandy, bring healing to her body as well, Father. God, thank you, God, for being with us. Thank you for giving us the truth, your word. And Lord, may we stand on your truth. And may your words, God, abide in us. Lord, let your Holy Spirit lead us. Let us walk in your spirit. Let us fulfill your purpose. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Remember, Sunday after the morning service, we'll be heading down to... uh, Townsend, I've already had two people call me say, Pastor, I want to be baptized in the river. So if, if you know somebody or you're interested that would like to be baptized in the river, uh, I'm going to be prepared to do so. And, uh, you know, if we have to float down the river and catch you, we'll be fine. It's going to be okay, you know. But, no, we'll have a great time. Come on out. We're going to have a good time. Um, once again, uh, we're planning on being out there. We'll have uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, and stuff like that if you guys want to sign up on our uh, website, love love for you to do that. There's a spot that tells you what is uh, other area, other things for you to sign up to bring. Uh, check one of those boxes. Come on out, let's have a good time. Service is going to be at four o'clock. We're going to have a good singing, and and believing uh, for a great message. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning.